Welcome to Centerpoint Church Podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? This question is for us too. As we move through this series, please take this opportunity to dig deeper and understand who Jesus is and what that means for you. Good morning, church. My name is Jamie Dykstra. I get to serve as the lead pastor here for Centerpoint Church. And this morning, it's my privilege to open God's Word and study it with you this morning. A special welcome to our Haywarden campus. I'm so glad I can be with you as well. And to all of you who are joining us online, thank you for choosing to worship with us. We are so glad you are here. I just want to highlight a couple announcements from our worship guide. So if you didn't grab a worship guide on the way in, please grab one on the way out. And it's full of all kinds of ways that you can get involved in Centerpoint Church. I want to highlight two things for you this morning. First, uh, we have uh, developed a study guide for this series that we're going through in this season of Lent called Who Do You Say I Am? And these are available for you at Next Steps. So if you'd like one of those, please stop and grab one of those at Next Steps at both campuses. And also, there's an opportunity to sign up and engage in Discover Centerpoint. And if you've done that before, it's okay to do that again. It's a great opportunity to, to connect and network with people. But if you're looking for ways to get involved in what God's doing here at Centerpoint Church, Discover Centerpoint is a great on ramp for you. Check all that information out and more in the worship guide um, on your way out today. So to start this year, we've been studying um, the book of Jonah. And, and we've been invited to stop this game of tug of war. So if you've been with us a little bit, you've maybe seen uh, some of the graphic. But the, the idea is to stop this game of tug of war and to invest in uh, aligning with mercy, coming into alignment with God's mercy. And if you missed any of these messages, you're, you're welcome to go catch up at wearecenterpoint.com. They're available for you there. You can check out the, the Centerpoint podcast over on Spotify. The, the sermon audio is there for you if you'd like to catch up or review where we've been so far this year. I do think that would be worth your time. Um, but maybe you've realized it's only one week later from the end of our Tug of War series. Maybe you've realized that the Tug of War series, even though that's come to an end, It doesn't mean the tug of war is over. And aligning with mercy is not something that you just do once. It's something that you continue to do every day, sometimes multiple times a day. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, is to come into alignment with Jesus. To align with Jesus means we follow Jesus. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we must look to him. We must look to Jesus Jesus is our aiming point, and that's what we're trying to focus on in these next 40 days as we lead up to Easter. In this season of Lent, this 40-day journey from now till Easter, we're inviting you to intentionally adjust your aim, to stop and truly look to Jesus. Who is he? Like, look at it fresh again. Who is he? What has he come to do, and what does that mean for our lives together? What do we need to do to come into alignment with Jesus? Specifically, the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus. Like we, we titled this series, Who Do You Say I Am? 
A question that, that Jesus asked his disciples and a question that we're inviting you to wrestle with in this season as well. As we look to Jesus, what he did and why he did it. As we look to Jesus and look at who Jesus is, does your life reflect what Jesus modeled in his life? Where are you in alignment with Jesus and where are you out of alignment with Jesus? And really the question is, what might you do to come into alignment with Jesus? To be a disciple, to come into alignment with the purpose and priorities of Jesus, to be a disciple and to be a follower of Jesus, it implies movement. It's a journey. And we get daily opportunities to look to Jesus again, to adjust our aim, to draw closer to him, and to make his priorities our priorities. Opportunities to resurrender our lives to his purpose. In this series, we're going to look at who Jesus said he was and what Jesus said he came to do. To take Jesus at his word and to come into alignment with his purpose. In Luke 19, Jesus says that he has come to seek and save the lost. Are you in alignment with Jesus' purpose to seek and save the lost? Who do you say Jesus is? What does your life say? A few weeks ago, I, I talked about what it looks like to align with mercy. And it starts with the belief that every person is created in the image of God and every person has value. We believe that because the word says that. It starts with the realization that it is not our job to draw boundary lines around the mercy of Jesus. It is our job to come into alignment with the mission of Jesus. If we're going to surrender our lives, um, if we're going to live surrendered lives in alignment with Jesus, it's going to be messy. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to invite us, even force us to cross these imaginary boundary lines that we have drawn. And here's the thing, friends. We're going to have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. When we surrender and align with the grace and mercy and love of Jesus, we get to do great things for, <laughs> for this expansive kingdom, all for the risen king that we serve. When the love of Jesus defines our life, and when his grace and mercy direct our feet, we get to surrender. And two things we get to surrender is comfort and control. And we get to join Jesus in his work of transforming the world. This is what we get to do. This morning, I want to invite you to see that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and Jesus has called us to do the same. That following Jesus will take you to places you may not want to go, beyond the boundaries that keep us comfortable and give us a sense of control. So this morning, I'd invite you to turn to Luke 19. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. Luke 19 1 to 10. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible if you have that with you or your preferred electronic device. We're also going to be hanging out in, in chapter 18, some of these verses that precede Luke 19, 1 to 10. It's also going to be on the screen for you as well. Before we go to God's word, let's ask the Spirit to open our hearts to it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
May your word be our rule. Your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus, our single concern. Amen. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through. First, I want you to recognize, I need you to see the movement. As disciples who follow Jesus, we are always moving. Following Jesus requires motion movement. It's a journey, and there is a destination. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This isn't any just any journey. This is the journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem, his first steps for his journey to the cross. But before they leave, Jesus pulls all the disciples aside and tells them what he's, what he's going, why he's going there, and what he's going there to do. But they cannot see it. They're blind. They're not yet in alignment with the purpose of Jesus. They're following, but they're not following with the destination in mind. Jesus tells them, this is in chapter 18 of Luke, just before this story. Jesus tells them, we're going to up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Jesus is on the way to the cross, and they don't understand any of this. If you feel like you struggle to align with the purpose and mission of Jesus, it's not just you. We have struggled to see from the very beginning. And I'm blown away, and I hope you are too, by the patience and loving kindness of Jesus. He's stuck with me, and he's going to stick with you, and he sticks with them. It is incredible. We're now in this season we call Lent. This morning marks some of the first steps in our annual journey to the cross together. The invitation is to see who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Jesus tells the disciples where they are going, and they don't get it. They don't see. They follow. They're going to eventually arrive in Jerusalem too, 
But the purpose of it all is lost on them. They don't get it, and I don't want that for you. Here's what I want you to see. Every step of this journey matters. Every step of this journey, yours and theirs, is an opportunity to learn, to see, to grow, and to come into alignment, to adjust to the way of Jesus. If you, and here's the thing. If you desire to see, like if you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see, if you desire to see, I believe God will open your eyes. The journey matters. I want you to check out what happens on the way. This is back to Luke 18. So they're on their way to Jericho still. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This blind beggar is calling out to Jesus. What do you think the blind beggar wanted from Jesus? What, why is he calling out? Any ideas? It seems obvious, doesn't it? I think as disciples, here's the, here's the catch. I think that as disciples, what seems obvious is probably what, we're, what blinds us to what, what's actually going on. What seems obvious to us is often what blinds us, and we seem to miss the point entirely. So, verse 39, those who led the way, it's interesting, these followers of Jesus were leading the way. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. This is the blind beggar. But he, he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. It appears that some of Jesus' followers got out in front of him. We can't really follow Jesus when we're out in front of him, can we? And these, these followers of Jesus, see how they lead the way. They lead the way with rebuke. It seems when we get out in front of Jesus, we just make a mess of things. Maybe following Jesus means Jesus gets to lead. And I don't think rebuke is what we've been called to lead with. It's not what Jesus leads with. Check this out. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Do you see? Jesus leads with curiosity, not rebuke. How about that? Jesus leads with curiosity, not rebuke. Maybe, maybe we should too. Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So what's the miracle in this story? What did the blind beggar need from Jesus? Was it his sight? Or maybe, maybe the better question is, who are the blind ones in this story? The beggar or the disciples? See, the beggar's eyes don't work, but he sees Jesus. He, knew, he seems to know exactly who Jesus is. And what the beggar needed from Jesus is what we all need from Jesus. Salvation. 
It's what he came to do. Like I mentioned earlier, right before they set out on this journey to the cross, Jesus gathers in the disciples. He essentially says, let me draw you a picture, guys. A picture of salvation. A picture of Easter. This is my purpose. This is why I came. And the disciples don't get it. They are blind to the purpose and the plan of Jesus. So Jesus, in his merciful, loving kindness, continues to patiently teach and lead along the way. He doesn't give up on us. As they move towards Jerusalem, at a pace hopefully they can handle and that we can handle, one step at a time, Jesus teaches and leads along the way. And on the way, he teaches the disciples to lead with curiosity, not rebuke. I believe this includes the way in which we lead ourselves. The way in which we lead ourselves. To be followers of Jesus and come into alignment with the purpose of Jesus to get unstuck and on the move, we're going to have to lead ourselves with curiosity, not rebuke. I'm my own worst critic. That voice of judgment is loud. And I don't think it's just me. But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus leads with curiosity, not rebuke. And finally, so we're finally to the text this morning. Finally, they arrive in Jericho on their journey to Jerusalem, which brings us to this guy, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a a tax collector. Um, When I say the word tax collector, you don't shudder like the disciples would have shuddered. It may trigger something in you, but nothing like it would have triggered for the disciples and all those who were gathered around Jesus. You need to remember, Israel lived under Roman occupation. To be a tax collector was to be a collaborator with the oppressive Roman Empire. To sell out and betray your own people for personal gain and profit. The closest modern example I can think of of how this would fracture your relationship with your community would be the citizens who under, who under the occupation of Nazi Germany collaborated with, assisted, and sold out their neighbors for personal gain. Tax collectors were hated. They were counted among the worst of the worst sinners. The words tax collector and sinner were used interchangeably. They were almost synonymous. To be a tax collector was to betray your people, your nation, and your faith. Tax collectors were believed to be cut off from the people of God. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he was a leader of his own tax collection ring. They extorted people. Rome would set the price of the tax, and then each of these middlemen in the tax collection ring would add a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until the taxes became completely oppressive and and unpayable. And if you didn't pay, your neighbor, the tax collector, would tell the Romans that you you refused to pay at all if you wouldn't pay the extra. 
and you'd hear a knock at your door, and on the other side would be the, cruta- the, the cruelty and brutality of Rome. Tax collectors got rich by making their neighbors poor. In the eyes of the Jewish people, you could not be further from God than to be a tax collector. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, wanted to see Jesus. I believe that this was a gift implanted in him by the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit had gone before and changed his heart and got Zacchaeus into motion. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus and he heard Jesus coming. So he got into action. He did things that Jewish men never did. These are, these are both considered to be below what a Jewish man would do. They don't run and they don't climb trees. Like, this is humiliating to someone. So this chief tax collector is willing to go wherever he needs to go to see Jesus. And when Jesus reached the spot where the social outcast had climbed that tree, Jesus looked up and their eyes met and Jesus saw Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus saw Jesus. Jesus called out to this man that I don't think he'd ever met. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And don't miss this, because this is an important part of it. Zacchaeus actually climbed down from the tree, and he welcomed Jesus gladly, joyfully. When the people gathered around saw this, they grumbled. It seems like we're just naturals at this. We don't take the other things that Jesus, but we're natural grumblers. They grumbled. They don't get it. They still cannot see. They're perplexed. Jesus doesn't know what the blind beggar would want. But he's on a first-name basis with the chief text collector of Jericho. There's something happening here, and I need you to see it. Jesus rolls in to Jericho, and he's like, you thought Joshua brought down walls in Jericho? You thought Joshua brought down? Jesus would be like, hold my wineskin, okay? I'm about to bring down the walls, the likes of which you never imagined. Are you, are you with me, disciples? Are you seeing this? Are you seeing? We came. Our purpose is to bring salvation to the world, to seek and save the lost. We're going to the tax collector's house, the place that no self-respecting rabbi would be caught dead in. That's where we're going. I've come to seek and save the lost. And look what happens. When Zacchaeus sees Jesus and Jesus sees him. And Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus joyfully. Don't miss this. This is another important step. Zacchaeus repents and completely changes his life. And then he makes restitution to all those he has cheated. What what Zacchaeus does is he comes into alignment with the way of Jesus. Do you see what's happening here. What's lost with the passage of time is just how radical this whole story is. April 15 is just around the corner. I've yet to meet someone that enjoys paying taxes. I, I don't know anyone. If you, I'd love to meet you at the Welcome Center. If you love to pay taxes, that's a cool story. But we really don't have beef with tax collectors, do we? I mean, 
We don't like taxes in principle, but it's not personal. You know, tax collecting is a pretty stale process. For most of us, we don't know anyone at the IRS. The IRS is a nameless, faceless government bureaucracy. Where When we think tax collector, we don't think our neighbor in our community who has sold us all out. We don't like it in principle, but it's not personal. When, what Jesus does in Luke 19, the lengths he is willing to go, the expansive scope of the love and mercy and grace personally challenged every person gathered there, every disciple, and everyone who heard about it. It was personal. Jesus is bringing down walls and crossing boundaries that stretches followers far beyond their comfort zone, way outside their comfort zone. This story would have triggered a visceral, visceral response in the people who heard it. They would have felt this story. It has stirred something up right in here, a tension right in here in your chest. To follow Jesus in seeking and saving the lost, to lead with love, is going to be messy and uncomfortable. But this story doesn't hit us like it would have hit them. So I want to I share something that might. Anybody get to watch the Super Bowl last weekend? All right. Lots of us. It was the most watched television event in U.S. history, this last Super Bowl. Now, some of you go to watch the game. Some of you go to a watch party just to socialize. And then a lot of you go to watch the commercials, I think. I think that's part of what's happening on Super Bowl weekend. And I want to replay one of those commercials for you in case you missed it. And I want you to pay attention to what you feel. What you feel in your body as you look at these pictures. Check out this short video. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you. I don't feel any walls keeping me from extending the love and grace and mercy to a tax collector. Doesn't do anything to me at all. When I watch this, I'm painfully aware of my walls and the limits that I placed on my love. How about you? What did you feel? Did any of those images trigger a response in you 
a desire to qualify, to amend, to edit, to object. Any of those pictures out of bounds for you? If so, then you've found the boundary. That's the limit. That you have placed on the mercy and grace and love of Jesus. The lordship of Christ supersedes every ideology and tears down every dividing wall. All people are created in the image of God and all people are invited to repent and come into alignment with Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So I ask you, as you follow Jesus and engage the world, are you leading with love and with curiosity or with rebuke? This is who Jesus is. Who do you say he is? What does your life say? Can you see what it looks like to come into alignment with the love and grace and mercy of Jesus, to come into alignment with the mission of Jesus? Fast forward with me to Jerusalem. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room. He knew that the time had come for him to do what he came to do. He got up from the Passover table. He took off his outer, outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. All of his disciples. Peter, who was about to deny him, and Judas, who's about to betray him. He washed all their feet. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, Jesus asked them, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand? Can you see what it looks like to follow me? Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You should do as I have done for you. Jesus led with curiosity, not rebuke. Jesus loved and served the denier the betrayer, and the faithful follower alike. Jesus does get us. The question we are asking is, do we get him? This season of Lent, these days leading up to Easter, are set aside for intentional preparation. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The invitation is to come into alignment with who Jesus is and what he's come to do. As we journey with Jesus toward the cross, I want to invite you to be intentional every step of the way. Here are two things that might assist you in coming to alignment with the mission 
of Jesus. First, would you focus on leading with curiosity and not rebuke? Both leading yourself and others with curiosity and not rebuke. I think you'll be surprised just how powerful this little change will be in your life and the lives of those around you. And second, would you be willing <laughs> to go deeper? We prepared a study guide for this series for you, an invitation to go deeper. Would you consider grabbing one at Next Steps and, and forming a group or, or grabbing one and, and doing it with your family or a friend or just grabbing one and doing it yourself? Would you be willing to go, commit to going deeper during these 40 days leading up to Easter to, to spend intentional, focused time Church, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The question is not, does Jesus get us? The question is, do we get him? Who do you say Jesus is? What does your life say? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we fall at your feet. And you raise our chin and our eyes meet yours. Your loving kindness, Lord, is amazing. Help us to see who you are, not who you, we want you to be. And help us to come in alignment with who you are, not who we want you to be, not what makes us comfortable or the ways in which we've defined it ourselves. God, I pray that we'd all submit and come into alignment with you and your purpose. That we as a church would be on mission with you. Jesus, you would lead the way. God, help us to approach all people with curiosity, not rebuke. May we be agents of love and mercy and grace. God, in the season of Lent, this journey to the cross, as disciples who desire to follow you, Holy Spirit, where we're in alignment, encourage us. And when we're out of alignment, challenge us and bring us back into alignment with the Jesus that died and rose again so that we could be saved. God, this good news of the grace of Jesus is for all people. I pray that this week we'd lead with curiosity, both for ourselves and others, and we'd go deeper. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship on Sundays at 930.